0: Trang was born in Hue, a city in central Vietnam. The third of five children, she received a better than average education due to her family status in the province. All of her privilege was shattered when, in 1968, during the Tet Offensive by North Vietnam, Hue was overrun. With the support of the U.S. military, South Vietnamese troops retook the city after 25 days of brutal street fighting. Trang was 18 at that time. When the mayhem had subsided, Trang discovered that many of her family members, including her father and older sister, had perished during the fighting. 10 months after the end of the Tet Offensive, Trang, then 19, migrated to Saigon, partly to get away from the memories that Hui held but mostly to earn money to help support her elderly mother and younger siblings who she'd left behind in Hue. In Saigon, Trang's ability to speak English paid off. She quickly found work as a waitress in a restaurant called The Bredard, which had retained its French colonial flair. Here, she served both South Vietnamese military officers and U.S. soldiers assigned to the various military installations scattered around Saigon. With this job, she was able to earn enough to send money back to her mother and to help support her younger siblings. Trang didn't feel comfortable in Saigon, though. Locals could tell she wasn't from there. Plus, working as a waitress serving American servicemen had the connotation that she was more of a prostitute than a hostess, especially given the fact that the upscale restaurant where she worked was located across the street from a girly bar, which was a favorite of the soldiers who were looking for such entertainment. Trang accepted this undue reputation since the Americans tipped well and, besides, she thought, once I return to Wei, no one will know what I did in Saigon. Many of the servicemen who frequented the restaurant made passes at her. But it wasn't until an MP, a military policeman, walked over after breaking up a disturbance in front of the girly bar across the street that Trang flirted back with any of them. He asked Trang who was waiting on tables out in front of the restaurant, what had happened to cause the brawl at the Blue Angel. She was smitten by Trey's polite manners, combined with an air of authority which he commanded. For the first time in her life, Trang found herself shyly flirting with the tall, gangly, red-headed American from Wisconsin. The next day, Trey and his partner swung by the restaurant and asked Trang if everything was okay. Soon after, Trey was making his way to the Rodard almost daily. He too enjoyed Trang's company. Trey seemed to make it a point to arrive shortly after the lunch rush was over so that he and Trang could chit-chat and make small talk. Soon, the two were dating. After several months, Trang realized that she, in spite of her careful planning, was pregnant. At first, she was too embarrassed to tell this to Trey. She had heard stories of American boyfriends disappearing once they were told by their girlfriends that they were with child. Trey's reaction surprised her. She had expected him to be standoffish, but instead, Trey concocted a complicated plan to keep in touch. Given that it was impossible for American servicemen to marry Vietnamese women while on active duty, Trey's plan was that once he was discharged from the army, he would return to South Vietnam and marry Trang, so that she and their baby could emigrate to America. Trang didn't know what to say. In her heart of hearts, she liked Trey, but at only 20 years of age, she didn't want to get married, even now that she was pregnant. Moreover, Trang was very afraid to leave Vietnam. Even though much of my family has been killed in the war, what little family I have left in Vietnam is better than none at all in the United States, she thought. Besides, what could she do in America? Trang knew that she spoke good English but she also knew from trying to understand the Americans when they talked among themselves that she was far from a native speaker and besides she had seen firsthand how rude and violent Americans could be among themselves drinking and carousing and the like. Then on January 27th 1973 President Nixon signed the Paris Peace Accords a peace agreement which had been negotiated in secret This effectively ended U.S. involvement in the conflict. Among the provisions in the agreement was a clause that all U.S. personnel were to be withdrawn from Vietnam within 60 days. Trey's commanding officer had told him that he was among the first to be sent home. Trey was to be demobilized from South Vietnam in five short days. Trey immediately sought Trang out to let her know the news. They had both expected a few more weeks together As Trey told Trang that he'd be leaving Saigon in five days, she could hear the tightness in his voice and watched him fight back his tears. Trang focused on enjoying the last few days they had together before he left, even going along with Trey's naive fantasies of a life together in Wisconsin. But five days later, he did leave. Trang received letters from Trey. At first, almost daily. She wrote back, but not as frequently. She didn't know how to respond to his continued planning and efforts to bring her to Wisconsin as his wife. In his letters, Trey explained the immigration process and wrote about several Catholic cathedrals in Saigon for them to have a religious marriage ceremony. His planning made Trang more nervous than she needed to be with a baby on the way, but she was not able to say no to the tall redheaded MP who was the father of her unborn child. At seven months into her pregnancy, Trang quit her job at Brodard's and returned to her mother in relations in Hue. After that, Trey's letters went undelivered. Trang's mother was disappointed to say the least, and even more so when Trang confessed that the father was a U.S. serviceman. She had heard the stories that they were irresponsible young men and counseled her daughter that she should forget all about him and concentrate instead on creating the best life she could for her child. Then, on May 1st, 1973, May Day as it would be later commemorated throughout Vietnam, Trang gave birth to a healthy baby girl. Secretly, against her mother's wishes, Trang wrote Trey a final letter to let him know that he had a daughter, but did not provide him with her address in Hue or any way that he would be able to get in touch with her. After that, she followed her mother's advice. The focus of her life was now her baby, a daughter who she named Anne. With the support of what remained of her extended family, Tran cared for her baby as the ravages of the Vietnam conflict continued to take its toll around them. The United States withdrew over 65,000 personnel within the 60-day period prescribed within the Paris Peace Accords. The fighting, however, continued uninterrupted. The North Vietnamese, the South Vietnamese, and the Viet Cong they all violated the ceasefire immediately. In spite of this inconvenient fact, the two primary negotiators who had worked on the Accords in secret, Secretary of State Henry Kissinger for the United States and Lee Doc Tho for the North Vietnamese Politburo, were both awarded the 1973 Nobel Peace Prize. Another unintended consequence was that the sudden withdrawal of all the free-spending U.S. personnel across Vietnam coupled with reduction in U.S. aid to the South Vietnamese regime resulted in an immediate and deep economic recession for the American ally. In December 1974, North Vietnamese troops began their first offensive action since the signing of the Paris Peace Accords less than a year earlier. The United States does nothing. In March 1975, North Vietnam and their Viet Cong allies launch an all-out assault on South Vietnam. South Vietnamese soldiers who, partly due to the crippling economic conditions and partly due to the corruption within the South Vietnamese government, offer only token resistance. Hue, the city where Trang and An live, falls without a fight. Viet Cong guerrillas sweep into the city unopposed and begin rounding up anyone who had anything to do with the Americans, including those who they term women and children of the enemy. Trang reacts by burning anything and everything that could tie her or her baby to an association with the Americans. This includes burning all the Polaroid photos Trey had taken of them together and all of the letters that he had sent. Everything goes up in smoke. Then. Trang and her daughter Anne, who was not yet two years old, join the rest of the refugees streaming out of Hue. Trang's extended family heads to the countryside to a small out-of-the-way farming village where they hope to avoid any interaction with the Viet Cong. Saigon, the capital of South Vietnam, falls on April 30th, 1975 less than two months after the beginning of the Communist North Vietnamese Offensive. After decades of fighting, Vietnam is united under a communist government. With the protection provided by the remains of a close-knit family, Trang manages to dodge any run-ins with the new authorities. Once all of the ex-South Vietnamese soldiers and government officials have been rounded up and sent to re-education camps, the Viet Cong guerrillas are disbanded. Then, the witch hunts for women and children of the enemy end. Everyone is simply exhausted. Trang and her daughter settle down in relative anonymity in this remote village. Life is hard, food is in short supply, and basic necessities are difficult to come by. Trang's life changed to helping her family as best she could while taking care of Anne. When Anne turns four, her features especially her light, wavy brown hair and her pale, hazel eyes, begin showing through. It's clear that Anne is an Amerasian child, not a purebred Vietnamese. Suddenly, even their normally friendly villagers, who had been sympathetic at first, began referring to Anne as Doi, an insignificant speck of dust to be brushed aside. This was politely called a preference within Vietnamese society for ethnic homogeneity. But in reality, this was nothing more than crass racism against Anne and tens of thousands of other Amerasian children scattered across the country. Anne was not welcome at school, and Trang, with an Amerasian child in tow, is now considered a prostitute. They find themselves ostracized by nearly everyone. Undeterred, Trang begins homeschooling Anne as best she could. The ostracization, by Vietnamese society has an unintended consequence. Anne becomes even more curious to know anything and everything that her mother can tell her about her father and about America and Wisconsin. Trang tells Anne all she can remember. But when Anne asks what her father looked like, Trang simply replies, look in the mirror. That's how your father looked. Life for Trang and Anne become increasingly difficult as the tide of vietnamese nationalism continues to swell they worked at selling vegetables cigarettes and whatever else they could scrounge up on the streets to sell in order to support themselves then in 1989 the american government passed the american homecoming act which worked in conjunction with the u.n high commission for refugees to provide a process for these unwanted and discriminated against Amerasian children in Vietnam to immigrate to the United States, along with their spouse, mother, or next of kin. Trang told the immigration authorities all that she could remember about Anne's father, Trey, but it had been so long and she had forgotten so much. What she did remember was that Anne's father was an MP named Trey who worked at Tan Son Nhat Airport in Saigon, and that he was tall and had red hair, and was from Wisconsin. It didn't matter that, after all these years, she couldn't remember his last name, a name that she could never pronounce anyway. A cornerstone of the American Homecoming Act was that the mere physical appearance of an Amerasian child could qualify. Suddenly, Trang's daughter, Anne went from being a boo-doi, an insignificant speck of dust, to a golden child with a ticket to immigrate to the United States and leave the economic hardships of Vietnam behind. Trang and her Amerasian daughter, Anne, immigrated to the United States. The first stop on their journey was six months in the Philippines to learn English and for a cultural orientation program. Then Trang and her Amerasian daughter, Anne, found themselves living in a suburb of America's finest city, San Diego. Once there, Trang quickly settled into a small but vibrant and growing Vietnamese immigrant community. After a few short weeks, Trang was once again working as a waitress in a French-Vietnamese restaurant. There, she met and married the proprietor, himself an earlier immigrant from Vietnam, who had managed to make his way into the U.S. after spending 10 years performing hard labor in a Vietnamese re-education camp. Trang's life was now settled. She was content and finally, after decades, felt at ease. Her daughter Anne's story, however, still has a chapter to go.